Welcome to episode number 248 of the Pioneering Today podcast. Today's episode is a special one. And even though it was technically recorded before everything that's going on right now in the world happened, I find its information is probably going to be even more valuable or something that we need more in this time. My name is Melissa K. Norris. I'm your host, best-selling author of three books, including my newest book, The Family Garden Plan, Grow a Year's Worth of Healthy and Sustainable Food for Your Family. And I'm really excited to share this episode with you because at the time that this is being released, I actually had thought that I was going to get this released on my normal schedule, which would have been yesterday, Friday, technically, and that the episode that actually went up Friday was going to be a bonus episode. However, things are changing fairly swiftly where I live here in Washington state. All of the public schools, which my kids attend, are now out and the kids are all doing homeschool. So I am a first time homeschooling mom and it's going pretty well so far, but it's definitely adjusted my schedule and the amount of work that I'm able to get out my output and my focus. So I share that with you just in case you listened to yesterday's episode and you were like, wait a minute, that wasn't a bonus episode. That was the day you rate regularly. Thanks go out. So the reason I am really excited to air this episode with you and share it with you right now is because I don't know about you, but I need a little bit of normalcy. I need to listen to some things that don't have anything to do with the coronavirus and just all the stuff that we're experiencing as a world with that. Now, I believe in being prudent and taking steps, but I also need some time where I step back. And so today's episode, my guest is Lisa Bass from Farmhouse on Boone. I think many of you are probably familiar with Lisa. If you're not, you are going to be in for such a treat. But Lisa is a homeschooling mom of six kids, ages 11 to four months, and her husband and her make their living in an 1890s Victorian farmhouse. I know, be still my heart. They share food from scratch, natural living, and a handmade home through her blog, which is on Farmhouse on Boone and her YouTube channel. And her first book released, it's called Simple Farmhouse Life on February 1st. And she was able to share some of her handmade projects in print. So what I love about this episode is Lisa and I dive into talking about how you manage things at home and doing it on a budget and doing things, of course, yourself and handmade and homemade, but ways to make your home functional because functionality is first, but also beautiful. And with many of us now spending more time at home than normal. I think homesteaders already spend more of their time at home. But right now I am definitely at home even more than probably any other time. And so making sure that we have ways to keep our house functioning well, but also looking pretty, is actually really important. It's uplifting to the soul. And so I think you're really going to enjoy today's episode. I think you're going to relate with a lot of things And also come away with a lot of great tips and inspiration. So without further ado, we're going to dive into today's episode. And to get any other resources and links, Lisa will and I will be mentioning some different things. You can go to the blog post that accompanies today's episode at melissaknorris.com forward slash 248, just the the numbers 248, because this is episode number 248. Guys, I am so excited to introduce you to today's guest. 
Miss Lisa from Farmhouse on Boone. Welcome to the Pioneering Today podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be on here. I am super excited to chat with you because I have been a, this sounds so bad, but I mean it in like the best way possible. I've been a stalker of your Instagram account for a long time and your photos are just beautiful. And I'm like, when I grow up, I want my house to look like Lisa's. So (laughs) so I'm I'm really excited to have you on today and to get um, to chat with you one of the things that I love about your style is a lot of it you're actually making and creating yourself. So it's not like you're just going to the store and buying, you know, like what's really in right now, which, hey, like no shame if any of you are doing that. Please don't feel like like I'm, I'm calling you out because I'm not at all. But right now, like farmhouse, um, you know, is vintage look. It's really in like, you, I mean, we can go to like Target or Hobby Lobby or, or wherever And you can really grab these pieces and they're darling and they're adorable. But I love that a lot of the pieces, like you're actually showing us like step by step how to create them yourself to create this environment in your home that you love and is also natural and is handmade. So for somebody who's just getting started on this handmade journey and wanting to incorporate this stuff into their, both their decor, but also functionally like into their kitchen because it's twofold. It's not like, oh, this just looks pretty. Like you actually use it in your everyday life and it has function and purpose. What are some of like your best, you know, kind of like your best tips or like, okay, you're going to get started with this. Like, this is how I would go about it. I would start, I think a lot of my DIYing in my house had to do with cheapness more than it had to do with the aesthetic. Now it's blossomed into, I like the unique collected look over a Hobby Lobby redo. You know, I I like that things come together over time. But with that beginning, I started, how can I make this and not have to completely decorate my house and spend a fortune? And so I like to collect a lot of vintage things. So buying like a set of sheets from the thrift shop or an old tea towel, or there's at the thrift shop, you'll find like a large tablecloth with crocheted edges and tearing those things apart and making them into something else. It helps if you're just starting out because fabric can be really expensive. And so if you decide that you want to jump into this hobby full force and you go to Joanne's, you could spend $100. And then if if it's your first time and you mess up, you might end up with something not that great and you might waste something. So what I like to do when I first started sewing, I would sew dresses for my little girl. I would get the vintage pattern curtains from the local thrift shop and make ruffles and experiment and just start there and also just start with things that are really easy like a couple of hems so you could cut a large square fabric put hems on all four sides and make a tea towel or a tablecloth or a really simple pillow cover don't start with ruffles and slip covers start with straight lines okay i love that and i'm with you like i grew up i was really fortunate on one hand i grew up and my mom sewed so much because money was really tight when I was little. And so she would actually sew a lot of my clothing and okay, I'm going to be honest guys, I'm 39. So we're going back like 30 some years ago, (laughs) but back then, like buying your notions, you know, your zippers and your buttons and the fabric itself, it 
was more economical. It was more frugal. It was cheaper to actually sew your clothes. But now in this day and age, I feel like unless you're getting a phenomenal coupon, which you can, like you can get some good deals that it is not always cheaper. If you're buying all of the fabric, like you're talking about new, it's not always cheaper actually to sew things. Um, you know, no. there's, it's really, yeah. So I'm totally with you of going to the thrift store. In fact, my mom and I just went for my birthday. We went thrift store shopping because it's like my favorite thing in the whole wide world. Yeah, me too. <laughs> I always find such good stuff and such fun fabric. Um, but one of the things when you are going to thrift stores, especially if you've never done it or you don't have a lot of experience sewing, um, that I would love, because my mom actually told me this because one of the things is she sewed a ton. And so if I wanted something sewed, I'd be like, Hey mom, can, can you do this? Like she sewed one of my prom dresses and different things like that. But the bad thing is, is like I can hem and I can do like a straight seam and I can quilt, but like actually sewing things on the sewing machine, I was spoiled. Like she did it and I didn't jump in and learn as much as I should have. So that's why I say it's like a good and a bad thing. So I feel like I'm kind of becoming educated now because I'm like, man, like I can't rely on my mom all the time to do this. Like I need to learn how to do more of it myself. So we were looking for fabric at the thrift store and I was going through the vintage area and looking at some of the fabric and stuff. And she's like, no, she's like, you don't want that one because it's too much of a high polyester blend. And I wanted to use it for stuff in the kitchen. And I'm like, and I kind of felt dumb, but I'm like, why don't it, why? Like, I know polyester is not the greatest because it's, you know, synthetic and all of that. But I'm like, Mike, why does, why, why do you say that for, I don't want it in the kitchen. And she's like, well, because it's going to hold grease and stain. Whereas if you get hundred percent cotton, it's not. I'm like, Oh, so there, there I got scolded from mom. But what my point in bringing all that story up and telling it to you was, uh, do you have any other tips? Like when you are looking at the thrift store, at the fabrics and stuff, especially if it's not necessarily for practice, which I thought was great because yeah, you, you definitely want to do some practice stuff. Um, but when you're picking out the fabric, is there any certain things that you really probably want to look for, especially if it's for something that you want it to be nice and to have some longevity and use in your home? I kind of just go by feel. So if I'm going to be making a dress for my daughter and it's a home decor weight fabric and it's really heavy, I kind of, you know, pu push together with my hands and think, okay, that's not going to make the best ruffle because it's not going to drape really nicely. Or if it's going to be a pillow cover, oh, that'll hold up a lot better. You can kind of feel, you know, like in your mom's uh, instance there, is this going to be absorbent? Like you can kind of tell by feeling it, what it might be a good application for. And also with anything, you know, this with all the things that you do, you'll just figure it out more as you go. I know I definitely use the wrong fabrics for the wrong things a lot in the beginning. And then the more you make, the more you realize what would work for different things. I like to look for anything, especially at the thrift shop, that has a detail that would be expensive to buy today, like a crocheted edge or something like a quilt that would be so time consuming to make on my own. If I see something like that, I will get it and think, okay, I'll figure out something to use this for because this took someone so much time to do and it can be repurposed into something really beautiful. I love that. And yes, like when I look at some of the, the lace or even like the embroidery work, um, and I did learn how to like cross stitch and do some small amount of embroidery when I was younger. I haven't, it's actually one of my goals is to, to start to practice that skill set again so that I don't, I probably have forgotten a lot of it. Um, but it's amazing. And so I'm kind of like you, especially when you're looking at like the, the really, um, you know, intricate embroidery and stuff, a lot of the thrift stuff, I don't know if you've noticed this, like 
some areas of it will have you know some stain or some discoloration and sometimes that can add to kind of the charm of it but if it's like really big or kind of like a nasty looking stain you know not just like a little bit of yeah. discoloration I'm with you like I'll look at that and be like okay could I like cut that out and use that you know on something else either making it smaller like if it was a large tablecloth and maybe do napkins or placemats or something like that out of it um, and so just because maybe part of it is damaged doesn't mean that you wouldn't be able to use the other part of it. So I'm glad you brought that up. Like, look at some of the detail work and just think, can I cut this up and use it with something else? I think that's a really great tip. Yeah. And like you said, I forgot to mention embroidery. That is definitely something I look for because you'll see some hand embroidered things just kind of tossed away and forgotten. And you could take a small portion of that, cut it out and put it in, you know, maybe in the waistline of a girl's dress to hang down like a little apron or you could make a pillow cover where just the front portion of it has that. You don't want to pass those details up. Yeah. Oh, I like the idea of putting it on the little girl's dress, um, except it would be a big girl because my littlest, my daughter is almost 11. And honestly, like I even love those details on my own clothes. So <laughs> yeah, I'm the same as you. My, my daughters are 11 and nine. So I'm kind of getting to the end of that. <laughs> yeah. Some of the other things that um, I really enjoyed that you had in your new book is you share how to do things like working with beeswax and different things like that in the kitchen that are more of those, like I said, kind of not just like pretty though, pretty can be functional. I love doing the two together, like with your aprons and your pillows and that kind of thing. Um, but what are some ways that you've really brought like that handmade and natural living element into things into your kitchen and not just food wise, obviously most of us, you know, cooking from scratch, of course, um, but into the things that you're using, you know, in your kitchen with your food. Yeah. I, bees, the beeswax wraps is probably my favorite way, like you said, but I like using those kind of things that can be used over and over again and in a natural way. So the beeswax wraps, those are really great because, you know, they can create an airtight seal and without having to use a plastic wrap. But anything linen, anything beeswax, I try to bring in a lot of antiques so that I can create a look that is functional, but then also really pretty because, you know, you leave out a lot of things. Like I like to have my aprons displayed on a hook in my kitchen and a crock, like a vintage crock full of wooden spoons. I like to be able to put the pretty on display that is also really functional. That's definitely important to me because we have, you know, not a huge house and you can't feasibly put everything away all the time. And so being able to kind of keep it to where it's pretty and functional is always my goal with anything. Yeah, I, I hear you. That's my goal too. In fact, I'm, I'm redoing. If you could see you guys at the, the time that Lisa and I are recording this, my kitchen right now, it looks like my cupboards threw up all over everything mm -hmm. because I'm taking everything out and completely redoing them organizational wise. Because I've noticed too, I don't know if you've noticed this, like I, I feel like I had like my flow down and everything was working. But then over time, I end up this is this sounds so weird, but I end up like evolving and doing things differently or just needing different things in different spaces. And so even though it, I felt like, you know, when I kind of reorganized and put things together like six years ago, I'm like, man, this actually isn't serving me the best. And so I have it all pulled out to put it all back together. So I know you guys just moved. And I know when you move, like that really makes you reevaluate because it's a brand new space, but it also makes you look at everything that you have and you're like, 
you know, am I really using this and how can I put it to its best functionality and so that it looks pretty. So do you have any tips for, and I'm kind of thinking mainly of the kitchen right now, but probably any room like that when you're looking at your kitchen and you're like, I want to, you know, make it pretty and functional. Do you kind of have any tips or criteria that you use to evaluate yourself? Like when you're using what you've got existing or even looking at bringing in some new pieces? Yeah, totally. And I, I feel like just like you, I have to do it constantly. I feel like, you know, I do this organizing, everything looks really great. I have things where they want and then things constantly change or even a different season. Like you might use some things more whenever it's full blown garden season than you use during the winter. And so the organization thing, I want it to be like a one and done thing, but it isn't. It's a constant. Also things come in, you have to evaluate, do I still need this? What I try to do is anything that's a one use thing, you know, really can't take place in my kitchen. So if if something is just a unitasker, it usually has to go. But there are things that I will allow to take up a ton of space on the counters and in the pantry, even though they are, you know, not, they're huge and not pretty. So an example would be the Instant Pot. But I don't just use it for one thing. I use it to make yogurt and bone broth, and those things happen multiple times a week. And so it gets to stay, even though it's big and ugly. So usually, you know, if it, if it's something that makes its way into use at least once a week, it's staying and I will find a place for it. Okay. I love that. And I have to say like, like holler high five to the Instapot. I am so, I am such an old soul. Like I always say, like I was born a hundred years too late. I feel like <laughs> Laura Ingalls and I should have grown up together. We would have been besties. I just know it. Yeah. <laughs> but the Instapot, oh my goodness. And I did not get, I feel like I was so late to the Instapot, like craze and, and train. I didn't get, I think it's been like two years ago. I finally got one. And I tell you what, that thing for a, from scratch, natural living homestead kitchen, even though it's a modern appliance. Oh my goodness. I love it. Like you said, for yogurt and bone broth. And just when I'm busy and I don't think to thaw me out ahead of time, right, exactly. growing dinner together. I'm with you. Like, and sometimes I use it like two or three times a day if it's like a big prep day and I just need to get a bunch of stuff uh-huh, done. Yeah. Yeah. So sorry, guys, I had to just kind of throw my love out there. Well, yeah, the and you, <laughs> you probably relate to the party because you were already doing all of those things before and thinking, okay, I don't really need another thing because I'm already doing, you probably were already making bone broth, already making yogurt, but I don't know about you, but I was finally convinced that it was going to be a lot easier and it really was. <laughs> so yeah, same here. Cause before, like I would do my bone broth and either cement it on the back of the stove, which we have an electric stove. And honestly, I wasn't super comfortable leaving that stove on for the 48 hours to right. get you know your good gel on your bone broth. I wasn't really comfortable leaving it on like we were when we were sleeping or at, when I was still working my day job. And so I would use my slow cooker. And even then, then my slow cooker was tied up for 48 hours right. to really get that good. And so yeah, exactly. And then I'm like, oh my goodness, at the Instapot, I can do this in one hour and it gels like nobody's right. business. <laughs> yeah, so it. yeah, it, it definitely <laughs> is. Okay. So I, I love, I love those tips. So I got to ask, do you actually leave the Instapot like on, on the counter or does it just have a place like in the, our prime cupboard space where like things are really close by, but they're still covered or do you actually just leave it out? I do put it back away in the pantry and that's probably just because our kitchen renovation is fresh and I still like looking at it, but I bet you whenever it's not fresh anymore, it'll just stay on the counter, but I'm still kind of in this. I want to look at the kitchen, how it's supposed to look phase, but it'll probably end up just staying there. But right now at the moment, I do put it back. I don't really know why. 
Okay. No, that's good. I, I put mine. It's right underneath the cupboard. Like I have one um, cupboard door that's large enough that I can just slide it in and it's just right, but it's right there. So I can just pop, pop it in and out. So I was just curious. Yeah. And that's, that's actually the spot that you're describing is where I have my grain mill. I have one large cupboard door that it can have five gallon buckets in it and it can have my grain mill. And so that's what's taken up that. Now, if I had another one like that, it'd probably be the instant pot. Okay. Now this is funny because my grain mill just, I don't, my Instapot takes that spot and I actually feel like my grain mill is a little bit prettier. So it sits on the countertop. The grain mill has like permanent home just on top of the counter. I don't know. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Um, so speaking of like you guys um, just, you know, moved into your kitchen and I know what you mean, like, especially when I do like a refresher, like a major thing, like I'm doing right now with the organization, once you get it kind of like all prettied up, you kind of want to keep it that way for yeah. a while. And then you slowly <laughs> ease into where not so much, which is why doing this. And I've, I'm saying with you, I find that I just have to redo it often. But speaking to keeping it looking nice, because that's always my ultimate goal. Like I'm going to get everything organized just so, and then the kitchen will always look this way with minimal effort. And it does for a while, but then it changes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, and I know you've, you have, um, you have more children than I do, which kids do add to, you know, they're extra hands, but they're also, um, extra mess sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> so do you have any tips that you kind of use as in your daily routine to help keep things tidy and organized and pretty in the kitchen? I have to be honest. I really don't. <laughs> I love it. I am, my only way that I'm able to stay anything close to what people would call organized is by constantly decluttering. So my husband and I, were both the same. We always have a bag in our hand almost every time we go upstairs and we just start throwing things in it because I don't really know how we end up with so much stuff. But I think it's just because all of our kids, everywhere they go, they're like little, like the other day we had, we went to this homeschool co-op that we were trying out. And they had what they called the market day. And so the kids could buy from other kids. And we brought home, like our kids are little pack rats. They brought home so much stuff. And so that, I guess, is what happens. But we have to constantly get rid of stuff in the kitchen, in their bedrooms, everywhere. And so I would say that's my tip. Just don't keep anything on hand at all that you, that you don't need. But with that being said, I still do have to do a major organization thing probably once every three months because I do have so many hands helping my girls, even my son who is six. So I have six kids, but the oldest three are 11, nine, and six. They can help put things away, but that also means that, you know, things can become a little bit out of order. <laughs> so yes, yeah. or you know, that's my only tip. <laughs> okay. I love it. And, and I, and I, it, it's like one of those things like, I can't complain when they help. Like even if they fold the towels wrong, which is one of my pet yeah. peeves, I have a very specific way. I want my towels folded in thirds. So they're nicely stacked on the shelf and that. And then the, when they put away the dishes is finding them, they're not in the space that I always put yeah. them at. <laughs> and so then I'm like, okay. <laughs> so, but yeah, you can't really complain. And I have to say one of the things that I started for the kitchen is I try not to, at the end of the day, is not to leave dirty dishes in the sink. And if you have a dishwasher, I know a lot of people, and this is, I did used to do this because we did have a dishwasher, but the dishwasher slowly died a slow death. 
<laughs> and so we don't have a dishwasher anymore. So we're doing them all by hand. And that's kind of my rule because I find if I wake up in the morning and it's already compounded, like I'm waking up to the day and there's dirty dishes still from the day before, it just is like, oh man. And so even though I'm sometimes really tired at night, I found if I just like, it's the rule, no matter what, the dishes have to be done. Clean, yeah. Yeah, I found like that that does help me keep the counters clean and the kitchen more picked up. Um, otherwise, it feels like they were a magnet and it just seemed to draw more and more stuff in if I had, you know, dirty dishes and stuff hanging around. Right, yeah. Uh, and with no dishwasher, the faster you do them, the easier it is. So I know like we also don't, we didn't put a dishwasher in our kitchen renovation because we eat here three times a day. We're all here all the time. And I don't have enough dishes to have a dishwasher because we'd have to constantly run it. But what we do is we pretty much just rinse and repeat. So if we, if you, right after you eat, you rinse it off with really hot water, you can just go again. <laughs> so that's kind of my method. I don't know if you do the same thing. Yeah, no, actually it's so true. Like I used to be like, people are like, oh, just put it in the sink and we'll just like let it soak with hot water later. I'm like, oh man, no, especially like with my cast iron. Like as soon as I'm done cooking with it, if it's something that's going to be maybe a little bit sticky or messy or even not like when it's like hot and I just wipe it out super quick, then it's like instantly if I let it sit and then you try even soaking, it still takes me longer scrubbing wise to get things clean. And of course I do not soak my cast iron. I know I was talking about cast iron, but I don't generally soak my cast iron. Um, but it is so much easier if you do it right then and there, like you said, to just wipe it clean and then you're good to go. It doesn't take nearly as much time later on. Right. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So going back really quick to the sewing, because you have um, in your new book, and I know even on your YouTube channel and on Instagram and stuff, you share things there with the sewing. Um, and I know like for me, like I can stroke, I, I can stroke. Well, I don't know what that is, but I can actually sew. <laughs> I probably, probably could. I invented something new there. <laughs> I, I can sew a straight line fairly decent. Now, I can't cut a straight line. In fact, um, that's why I bought like the rotary color cutter and where it oh, has yeah. the guide for you. I'm horrible at straight lines. Um, but when you're wanting to maybe venture into some of the more things like doing ruffles or, you know, sewing actually clothes where you're going to have some different lines and stuff. Do you have any tips for somebody who is wanting to maybe venture a little bit more into that other than just like, you know, practice and that type of stuff, but do you have any kind of, kind of tips that have helped you or any advice for someone who's like really wanting to jump a little bit more into making more things? Yeah. I mean, if you, if you want to, sew, say you want to start sewing a dress for yourself, I would say start with things with elastic. Like I have a tutorial on my blog for a sheer dress. So that's just like an elastic thread, but it's really forgiving. So starting with those kind of things that are forgiving to where if you make it the wrong size, it'll probably still fit you is a really good place to start so that you don't feel discouraged with something that you can't really wear. And yeah, my, my advice is just that just if you keep practicing, like my Slip covers. I made a slip cover for my couch first, probably about six years ago. And it wasn't the best, but it totally worked. And then the next slip cover I made was way better. And the next one after that was even better still. And there's just something to be said for just trying things. I mean, you can read up on it like crazy, but it won't really make your hand guide the fabric through the machine any better than you know, than it did before by reading up on it. And so I know that sounds cliche, but just more and more and more practice is definitely my advice because 
all of my earlier stuff looks really bad. And if I try something new, it still isn't going to be perfect. So it just, it does just take that getting familiar with the machine. I think most people get discouraged just with the machine in the very beginning. The bobbin thread gets bunched up, something goes wrong with the tension. And so if you can just get familiar with your machine, you're going to be really getting somewhere. Yeah, no, I completely agree. And like you said, like when I first started like trying to figure out like my, it was an old machine, really a good machine, but it was an older one. And so I, it had a little bit more finessing that needed to be done with it. And so I just got like literal scrap fabric and just kind of every time I wanted to test out like a different, you know, um, tension or try some different settings on it for some different patterns with the thread and just like went to town that way. And the other thing is make sure that you have a seam ripper. Yes. yes. <laughs> like that, it's probably my most used sewing tool after a pair of really good fabric scissors. Yep. And, and the actual and thread. Tape. Now you need yeah, to, and yeah. good thread. Yes. The thread and then something to rip the thread out. Yeah. Yes. Seam rippers. I still use seam rippers because I've gotten a lot more familiar with sewing. I'm experienced, but still you're not thinking and you sew the sleeve to the skirt. Like it just, it just happens and the seam ripper will save you every time. Yeah. I actually have multiple seam rippers because I still, I first learned to sew uh, by, actually I first learned to quilt. So I learned how to, to quilt and a hand piece at top, not the actual quilting um, when I was about eight years old. And so I have, and I think whatever you learn first, I feel like it's like your go-to. So like that felt really comfortable. And so I wanted, I just was like, oh, I'll just repair this by hand. Like, I'll just do this hem by hand. I'll just do that, you know, like all of that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And then it got to the point where I'm like, oh my goodness, like this is why, you know, our pioneer um, sisters, when sewing machines came out, they switched for a lot of stuff yeah, because it's so much faster. <laughs> this so, is why dresses used to cost probably like 50% of your monthly income. Yes. And so I finally made myself start using the sewing machine. And like you said, like I'd, I'd get kind of mad, like something wouldn't go right. And I'd be like, I'm just doing this by hand because I know I can do it that way. But then I finally, yeah, just, just keep at it and practice wise. Um, it definitely helps. So thank you so much, Lisa. I just enjoy so much of what you put out. It's so much fun and your realness and authenticity. So is there anything that you would just kind of like to share with people about going into creating a handmade home or any tips like that? I guess it's going to be obvious from what I've already said, but just try, just start, start with a little doll dress for your daughter's doll that you can mess up in something small or a pillow cover. Just start and work a little bit at it each day and you will definitely be there. Because I have so many people tell me, I can't sew. And I'm like, well, you can't sew now, but if you start, you will be able to. And so, yeah, just start, get, get, start trying and you will definitely get there. Awesome. So I know I have obviously mentioned both your Instagram and YouTube, but are there any other places that you would like, if people want to see more stuff or um, follow you where they can find you? Yeah, those are the best. Farmhouse on Boone on Instagram and YouTube, and then also farmhouseonboone.com. Those are the best places to find me. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. And guys, I will have links in today's blog post that accompanies this episode. I know we mentioned a couple of different things that Lisa specifically said she has like tutorials and stuff on. So you can hit those show notes and grab those links to go directly to those resources. So thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. 
Well, I hope that you enjoyed that interview as much as I did, got some inspiration and leaves you feeling more uplifted than when you started. Thank you so much for hanging out with me. I so appreciate you during this time. And if you are looking for ways to make more things at home and or grow more of your own food, make sure that you're on my email list. I'm doing several things over these next couple of weeks. One, we're wrapping up, or I shouldn't say we're about halfway through. We're not wrapping up yet. The Organic Gardening Workshop. So that is not too late for you to jump into. It's completely free. We have videos every single day that are up for 24 hours that you can watch that are going to help you grow your own food organically from both myself and six other presenters. And I'm also joining with Homesteaders of America. And next week, we're going to be starting a series of that's completely free for 2020 of growing your own food. So it's over a week. Um, it's going to be on YouTube. So there'll be videos posted and linked to every day from myself and many, many other people who grow and raise their own food. So just know that you're not alone, that there's a lot of us that are trying to get these resources into people's hands to help you do more of your own homegrown and handmade items that will serve you no matter what happens, uh, will serve you very well. So anyways, thank you guys so much. I will have links to everything that I just mentioned the second time um, at the blog post, which is again, melissaknorris.com forward slash 248 to accompany this episode so that you can get more resources. So thank you for hanging out with me. I will do my best to get you extra episodes and extra resources during this time as I'm able. And if you've got, if you have any questions or there's anything that you would like to learn or you'd like to know, or just any suggestions, like I really would love to hear you talk about this or that, please do let me know, reach out via social media. You can email me, melissa at melissacanoris.com is my email address, um, or you can leave it in a review. I read the reviews. Um, and if you've got some subjects that you would like to have some more info on, especially pertaining just to kind of this, this, this time in life let me know and I'll do my best to help you. Okay, guys, thank you so much. I really do appreciate you. Mm -hmm.